welcome everyone. This is Rachel Prince, Red Bullpreneur and Real Estate Broker. Matt and I are here with you today. We've had some technical difficulties, but we are um, house hacking today, I promise. And uh, we've been technically house hacking, haven't we, Matt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I think we've got everything worked out today. I'm so excited that you're on the call today because we're going to get into some really cool rental entrepreneur stuff. We're going to talk about RVs and what Airbnb hosts can do as well to rent or get into the sharing economy with the RVs and if they want to go that route. So we're inviting Matt on to talk about um, his expertise within the Airbnb and real estate industry and uh, what he's up to now and see if we can help him. So, Matt, hey, what's going on? Why don't you uh, just introduce yourself to us? Rachel, well, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Matt Holmes. I came up here to Denver about a decade ago for school, graduated, took a sales position, and um, I had been flipping cars in undergraduate, and that's kind of what piqued my interest in real estate. I thought buy low, sell high, right? But real estate's better than the automotive industry because it's a bigger asset, it appreciates, and hey, you're supposed to rent it out, which I don't think it's normal for the average person to rent their car out, although things are changing with the sharing economy. So, uh, and we can get into that later if needed. But anyway, I, I um, bought my first house, went back to school to study business, and that's when I realized that I wasn't going to go the traditional route and uh, search for a job after graduation. I couldn't really find anything that I liked. Um, none of the job offers blew my skirt up, if you will. And uh, I, I got into real estate and started a company where we bought single family homes with out of state investors, which the timing was lucky because we were, I, I bought the first house in 2010 and then 2012 is when we were getting into it. And uh, that's when I realized how powerful it was to buy, you know, a three bedroom house, add a bedroom to it and rent out each bedroom for eight to 900 bucks a month. At least that's what they rent for today. I think it was a little bit less back then in 2012 and 2013. But um, that was kind of the, uh, the launch of, my real estate company, and uh, it took a while for Airbnb to, you know, get enough content and people interested in renting houses short-term consistently here in uh, Denver, and I, I'm kind of near University of Denver, which isn't, that's where my properties are, which isn't right in the middle of downtown where I think Airbnb can be even more powerful, but um, but anyway, we're here to talk about, you know, these houses and kind of maybe getting an RV, which we can get into, but I I eventually got out of real estate and I started doing online marketing full time, which is what I'm still doing. I'm still trying to make as much income from that as I do from my real estate still currently, still three years later. Um, so maybe that would lead to the idea that there's a lot of money in real estate. Um, and it's harder to make money online because I've been doing it for um, two years trying to make money. And the first year was just kind of interviewing people in tech, in the tech space. But, um, yeah, today I have I own three properties at this moment. One of them I picked up to flip because I just saw so much opportunity in it, and that one's on the market right now. It hasn't sold yet, but we're hoping for a strong offer today if possible. And um, what I really wanted to ask you about was what to do with the investment. You know, I have my original investment in that house plus the renovation budget plus, plus the profit once it sells, and I don't, I don't know if I want to buy another single-family home. It's just a, it's a very expensive asset, and even though it appreciates, I think that I could make the same amount of rental income from a type of tiny home or a, a RV if I could landscape immediately in the backyard of, of one of my properties. So um, that's kind of the story bringing us all up to today. And where exactly do we want to, we want to go from here, Rachel? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and just so everybody listening knows, I'm sorry that Matt's having a little bit of technical difficulty with his audio still, um, but we, you know, pr- try to just listen through it. Um, and Matt's, you know, trying to be as still as he can with his audio. So please, thank you for your patience with that. But also, um, Matt, I just want to say to you, I didn't realize that you were kind of flipping cars back in the day. Uh, what the? What does that even mean? Like you were, That sounds amazing. Like, and that, how cool that you kind of, it's, it might even come full circle for you. Yeah, I think, I think it does. You know, I've always been an asset focused entrepreneur and I bought my first, actually, I, this is sophomore year of college and I went through a bad breakup, Rachel. I was so sad and I was heartbroken and I needed something to take my mind off of it. So I bought a motorcycle because of course I can ride a bicycle and I know how to drive a manual so I can ride a motorcycle, right? Sure, Yeah. <laughs> So um, the time came, the time came to go home for break, and I had to sell the motorcycle. And I, that's when I put it up for sale, made money on it, and realized, wow, I just made three hundred dollars. There's some opportunity in this for someone who's twenty, twenty-one years old. That's a lot of money, and I just made it all on my own. So eventually, I bought another motorcycle, and then I bought a car that I thought was a good deal, and trucks, and that's how I kind of gotten into that. Uh, I, I would buy just with cash on the spot. This was a purely negotiating play, not, not. Um, I wouldn't do any work generally to the cars. I would buy them in good condition and buy them from someone who's moving and moving out of state, say within a week. And the most important thing to them was getting a cash offer for their car, where then when I turned around and I was the one selling it, I was in no rush. The most important thing to me was finding that person who would pay top dollar for it. Sometimes I'd window tint it, give it a car wash. That's about it. Put some dice in the rearview mirror. <laughs> and some dice in the rearview mirror, of course. Yeah, I got to have the amenities. Well, that is really cool to uh, know about you. I think that you might be able to use these skills somewhere in your near future, but who knows? We'll see. Um, I wanted to find out what you do know currently about tiny homes and RVs. You know a little bit about motorcycles and cars, but let's just find out what your experience level is with uh, tiny homes and and RVs, and we'll, and we'll we'll get into this conversation a little bit more about some of the things that I have seen happen in Denver as far as Airbnb with with RVs, and then um, what's currently on the market. And um, but what but what's your experience with those? Sure. So not much. Um, I think. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've I've seen a lot of videos online. I've gone into two dealerships to look at RVs. And, um, you know, I've, I've paid landscapers to do work to my properties, so I have a small idea of what it would look like to buy a travel trailer and kind of landscape it into a, a nice-looking home rather than a parked trailer. And uh, that's, that's about it. You know, I haven't pulled the trigger on one yet, but I'm prepared to when, when my uh, property sure. sells that I recently flipped, and that's where I'm at. You're, I think you're resourceful enough to find it out, like, the rest of us when that time comes. But um, the one thing I, I had reminded myself to ask you was, do you think that this will be an RV that will be on the road or what you just mentioned to me is more like it will be stationary uh, or will it be both? So in order for me to answer that question, I've got to take you back to a conversation I had with a friend at happy hour, probably about three months ago. And he said, Matt, have you, have you thought about tiny homes? And I said, uh, I've heard of them, but I've really not, I haven't thought about them as an investment. 
vehicle. Why, what, what's your interest in them? He said, well, did you know short-term rentals in the mountains sometimes can be as high as $1,000 per week, um, you know, for just a very tiny accommodation, like a, a, the tiniest of tiny homes. Um, it's, it's as if you can purchase the real estate but not have to own the land. So if you could technically find somewhere to place this tiny home, now you have to make a return off anywhere from ten to $50,000 instead of the you know $900,000 and up it would cost to buy a property in that area because you have a mobile piece of real estate. And that's when I re- realized, oh, wow, that actually is a smart idea. Um, I told my friend because, you know, everything's going more mobile and on demand, you know, from like, look at how Uber's taken off. You want to ride on demand and now it's there. And of course, if you need a place to stay, you know, short term in the mountains, boom, it's there. That, that might be a trend that we're seeing with the sharing economy and, um, and, and where technology might be taking us. So that he caught my interest in that right away. And then I've just been doing research for the past two or three months, which kind of brings us to our conversation today. So, Matt, you're a real estate broker, right? They're licensed in Colorado, right? I'm actually not. Um, I I have one real estate broker who I've used for every property, but we work pretty closely together and share some of the work. Okay. So that was what I was going to say to you. My first uh, piece, my first question is, first, this guy who told you about that and kind of brought it to light is, what is, is... is he a broker or just is he an investor or is he just someone, an enthusiast? He is a entrepreneur who's been wildly successful with, with their company, which is like a new type of beer dispenser. They raised hundreds of thousands on Kickstarter and oh, he's okay. looking for more places to invest his, his money. And he, okay. he asked to meet with me since I have some real estate roots. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, my first input to that would be, you know, that yes, this is something that other people have mentioned to me that they're interested in doing as well. And my first question to them is, or my first comment to them is, is, is always zoning. And I would say this to you, this is across the board, the biggest concern for people wanting to do an RV or uh, on any land or any single family residence property, whether it's urban in the city or not in the mountains or what have you. So for yours, for example, I guess my question to you is whether this is going to be a stationary RV or it's not, is basically what it comes down to is that you're going to have to find out zoning regardless. Um, The one thing I like about, um, let me me step back here by saying um, stationary uh, is, is relative to, you know, I mean, we're talking about tiny homes and RVs that can potentially be moved at any time, but I think that the, I just want to make the difference, the distinction here that what I'm talking about is, are you going to be renting an RV or is someone going to be renting an RV that someone actually takes and drives around for a week or are they going to be doing the stationary? We've been talking about the latter where you have a mobile unit, but it's actually considered a stationary piece on the property, which then brings up zoning issues. So that brings us back to permitting and zoning in your area. Whether you're looking at zoning in your city, like Denver or Lakewood or what have you, or you're looking for zoning in the mountains, you still have requirements and restrictions against temporary, well, mobile uh, units. So, for example, in the mountains, you might buy $15,000 worth of land, 
but they may have restrictions against, um, and this is in, especially in Boulder County, but they may have restrictions against you having an RV on the land for a certain length of time, especially since uh, it may or may not have access to toilets or, you know, uh, you know, whatever that might be. If it's a tiny home or, because sometimes tiny homes don't have bathrooms, some do. Yeah. But um, yeah. whether or not you're having septic tank, whether, you know, is the tiny home, I mean, there's lots of stuff that's going to start to come up here, but but the, the you just basically need to reverse engineer it. So I wouldn't go ahead and buy any tiny home or any RV, you know, obviously, until you have your area targeted in and then your zoning targeted in with the current, with the uh, local legislation. And then you can reverse engineer it. You can say, do I want to get a tiny home because I can have tiny homes here? Or do I want to get a uh, RV because every, you know, three months I'm going to have to move that RV into a different location or something like there's weird requirements things are run up there you want someone who's got a little bit more rapport with the other brokers up there and the, the city and things like that so um so i think that is that would be like a first step for you is is finding because that's not my expertise is not in that that market up in the mountains but i do um i do think that you can find it out pretty easily you're a resourceful person and with their contacts we can get you there but um but also, you have to decide what area you want to be in. Yeah. And once you, you know, what, that's kind of, you know, get clear about your, you know, are you doing it in Denver? Are you doing it up in the mountains? Now, one thing, so, so start with your area and then you might decide you don't even want to mess with Boulder County. You just want Vail County or Summit, Summit Valley or what have you or the Summit. And, um, and then find someone to support you who's, an, who's kind of an expert, not only in short-term rentals, but, um, you know, real estate or real estate and short-term rentals. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you might want to consider RV Share. So RV Share is the sharing, the sharing economy platform. It's like an app, I think, as well. But they have like a website that is for the mobile use of RVs. And so you might decide that if you have a place to store the RVs, great, but you might decide that it's bigger business for you to maybe get a storage, get a couple RVs, get a storage unit in Arizona and, you know, do it full year round, rent out your RVs full year round in a place like Arizona or Florida, as opposed to Colorado. I mean, yes, you could start with one RV and, but in the, in the, Winter, most likely, you're gonna, it's seasonal, so you're going to have to shut down, you know, they're not going to be able to drive the RV in the winter, per se, I mean, depending on the RV, but, um, but I, I think that a mobile RV might be a better option for a place that's highly legislated in Colorado. Um, there are people that I know have been doing the, you know, rent the cabins type of thing, I think, um, rent the cabins, but they're really like little tiny homes or whatever. And they were making bank. I think it was an evergreen and, you know, they got, I think they got in trouble <laughs> eventually. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I think you, you know, you, like I said, reverse engineer it. 
uh, find out your requirements of your area once you know your area. But also consider doing that mobile platform, and there's a few of them out there now. And you might even decide that you want to just invest in a bunch of cars because you could do Turo. I mean, it's kind. you could hire an assistant to, to be running around to do all the, you know, you have to do the drop. You have to drop the car off and pick it up. You don't want to be doing that, but you could certainly hire an assistant. And, um, and I know some people that are having great success with that. Um, you just have a, some disposable cash, go buy a few cars. You know, when assets use, when automobiles used to be depreciating assets, now they're cash flowing assets. And that is what is so cool about it. So about Turo and, and RV share and stuff. So I just, I just love the, the, the car sharing economy. I think we're, I think that would be, might be an option for you. Yeah. So I, I actually am a fairly, I mean, like pretty beginner to amateur Turo owner. And um, I am actually one of the first people that had their car totaled on it. I previously had a work truck and a Lexus. And um, on the second trip, my Lexus went on, someone totaled it. And I have a detailed blog post about all the details of how that unfolded, because it actually did unfold favorably. But, um, but yeah, I, I've, I've bought another car since, and I do have um, a, Dur- a Dodge Durango on Turo as well as a, a 335, a twin-turbo Beamer, all-wheel drive Beamer. So uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm experienced, but I'm, and I agree with you. They are depreciating assets, but it's awesome that you can cash flow them now. And I look yeah. back at how Turo would have affected me buying and selling cars back in the day, you know, back in like 20, 2009 and 2010 is when I was, you know, flipping the most of them. <clears throat> and I wish Turo would have existed back then. I think Turo is a great way to, you know, buy a used car. Don't buy a new car because then the depreciation is too hard to keep up with. And you want to buy something that's reliable too because this Beamer, if this, if, this thing, if this thing breaks down, I need to have like two to three grand budgeted. Where if my Dodge were to break right. down, maybe that's 1000 to 1500 If you have a Lexus or Toyota, because I used to have the Lexus and, you know, maintenance was minimal. Plus they're more reliable. You're probably not even going to have to spend money on it. But that's more of a 500 to $1,000 uh, reserve that you should have while putting, you know, more miles on the car than, than you would yourself without renting it out. Yeah, so I think that's not, the, big, the biggest problem is, is, is if something goes wrong, you know, like that's the yeah, biggest expense. But Definitely. Like I, I, see, I see a lot of other Turo owners buying their cars new and just not even thinking about depreciation. It doesn't matter if you made 15 grand this year and 15 grand next year on that sexy car that you bought it. and you're renting mm-hmm. out in Turo. If you bought it for fifty thousand and now it's worth twenty thousand, which it probably yeah. wouldn't be, maybe it's worth thirty thousand, but then you only made ten grand in two years, and that's mm-hmm. not enough. That's not worth your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I would I would definitely recommend getting the um, the used used automobiles. And so that that's what brings me to saying to you, you know, it's possible that you might want to start looking out of state. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to explore Colorado and the mountain towns and see if you can do it anywhere. Um, there might be some dif- different cities. You know, I know there's a city over by Pueblo that the mayor allows tiny homes. I mean, that law could change at any time, but uh, you might want to get creative and find a town that it allows it and see if you can make your property an attraction for, for tourists, but you're taking a risk by doing that. And you're also 
you have a uh, you have an obligation to you know watch out for the safety of your guests as well. So if you have a mountain tiny home and they get snowed in and can't get out, you know you got to go check on them or something. So um, assuming that it would be year round, but again, I think um, that's part of the appeal is having warm tiny home and a hot tub. You got to have a hot tub, but oh yeah. <laughs> so you know another another risky maintenance um, asset. So but worth it, I think. So I think yeah, like once you, uh, it, I mean, it sounds like you you are really going to move in this direction anyway. But I would say to you, the last option would just be to say are you sure that it has to be there in Colorado? Could it, could it, uh, once you've exhausted all your, your uh, research on Colorado and, you know, maybe you might decide to look outside of Colorado, like Arizona or Florida for, um, you know, Arizona is friendly to, to short-term rentals. So maybe you guys, you take some trips to Phoenix and go set up some, yeah. some tiny home areas there or something this yeah this is great Rachel a lot of the advice you're giving me I've like recently looked into or I've been thinking about doing so this is a great call I'm like okay I think I might be you know going on the right path on the right path yes because my my best friend from high school as well as my sister both live and own property in the metro Phoenix area and um, I've pitched my best friend because we've done some business before and um, I pitched him on hey do you want to be in charge of maintaining this and, and split the revenue off of it while, you know, while Denver goes through winter. But I've also looked at RV skirts, which is something you can install in your RV for maybe a few thousand. And, and as long as you keep the RV heated the entire time, then you can go through winter with it. Right. But of course, if you turn the heat off, then that's just like turning the heat off in a building. Like pipes are going to break. There's going to be big problems when you try to turn it back on. So yeah. It might be better to winterize it or take it out of Colorado to be extra safe, but if not, it's good to know there's some alternatives. Right. And I don't even know if you would want to be transporting unless you maybe if somebody was driving it out and they rented it and took it out to Arizona. But I don't even know. I think you might want to just keep your RV state by state, you know, don't, don't try to keep transporting them because it's, where it's the miles and the wear and tear on that poor unit. But, um, but I, cause I think you can winterize your RV if you had one in your backyard and just keep that one till the spring. I think I had a, another, uh, another client there who told me she was making 5,000 a month off their RV. And it was, a mo- I believe it was a mobile one. So I mean, yeah. if, even if it's yeah. just seasonal, you can pay for your RV in one year. If yeah, not more. exactly. I mean, if it's a better deal for it. So, yeah. They're just so inexpensive compared to buying a home. No matter, no matter how little you rent it out for, the percent of that rental income in relationship to the entire cost of the asset is a much, much higher percentage. And even though the asset depreciates, it doesn't matter because – the cash flow is so high. It's like it's kind of like the same strategy as investing in condos versus single family homes. Single family homes you're gonna see more appreciation. With condos, you're probably going to see a higher rate of return on cash flow. From what I understand, because I had a girlfriend that was looking in Boulder County wanting to just put an R V and buy some land, it's it's impossible because they've just got all these 
requirements. Like literally it was like move your RV every two weeks and can't be in the same place and it can't, yeah. can't live in it. And, you know, so I mean, with, with, with all that, I don't know what to say, but what I would look for is places, uh, cities like Lakewood where you can buy a property and you can't have, you can't do short-term rentals, but you can do camping in your RV or you can have people stay in your RV for two weeks, up to two weeks at a time. It's really strange. Oh, yeah. That's, that's but good. That's in Lakewood, huh? Yeah, that's in Lakewood. Um, make sure that you get it in writing or that you find the legislation that actually says that, you know, any, yeah. but I, obviously I wouldn't, um, I would, I would go in with caution, but, um, and on the down low, but I, uh, but Lakewood is one of those areas where I believe you can, you can have an RV because a lot of people have a lot of land there in Lakewood, in yeah. Colorado, but you, and so you can keep your RV and you can also have people stay in it. So I think the line is a little gray area right there, but um, I do know people that are doing it successfully. And so I think um, that might be an option for you if, if anything. Yeah, that's Again, a great point. Lake, I should look into that. Yeah, yeah, or or even uh, you know other other areas. I don't know, maybe um, Westminster, or I don't know, maybe you just have to go into each college city and ask them, hey, can I have a can I have an RV? Can I can I have my RV there? And can I have people stay in it? And you might have to do a little homework, but I think that would be worth it for you because they're doing it in Lakewood, so. But I would be cautious yeah. of areas that are legislated against short-term rentals. I do know another friend that is living in Edgewater, and it's totally illegal, but they might be with Edgewater, and they're right inside Denver County. But they're, you know, there's a bunch of people that are fighting it, I guess, and trying to make it at least um, possible for, I guess, it's going through the little court system there. So that's cool. I mean, there's efforts to make it possible. There's that my friend uh, has a house and it has like a little kind of a, a unit upstairs and it has a separate entrance and everything. It doesn't have a kitchen or anything. So it's not quite considered a bed and breakfast, which is where their line gets fuzzy. <laughs> so it's yeah. actually having someone stay and it has a bathroom and everything in a separate entrance. So he's like, well, that doesn't fit into bed and breakfast. So you said no bed and breakfast. So, um, <laughs> So I think, you know, we're all going to see the legislation having to get more and more clear and people going to court because he did uh, hire a lawyer that I know there, Corey Rutz, I think her name is, uh, who's there in Denver, who's been doing some of the short-term rental uh, legal stuff. And, you know, just uh, I think we're going to start seeing that more and more because people are going to fight it. They're like, no, this is not cut and dry. And just because my neighbor doesn't like it doesn't mean I can't do it. It doesn't mean I don't have that right. So. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I feel like a lot of zoning has not – a lot of laws in general have not been updated with how – considering how fast the sharing economy and technology has been growing. So in, in my opinion, it's not – I mean, as long as you're not breaking any criminal laws um, and you're, you're kind of on the line with some civil laws, I think as long as you've stayed in close contact with attorneys and you know what the risks are, that, that you might be doing something that in just a year or two might be – a little bit more adopted widely. So my, my tolerance is a little higher because I've, I've had a few problems with, two, you know, neighbors saying I had too many roommates in the house when actually I was well-researched on the laws and had already proactively gotten a permit to have 
one extra roommate. So uh, all the way to too many cars parked in the driveway, which is, uh-huh. no, actually, actually there's another house just south of us where those, those land, that landlord wanted to put roommates in too after seeing what I was doing. So, um, yeah, I've had a few, I've had a few incidents with zoning, never where I was in the wrong or if I ever was in the wrong, you know, that I think it started with my attorney said that it would start with a warning and then you'd probably have 30 to 60 days before you got your first fee of $250. And then after that fee, that's when you get into fees above a thousand dollars. So I think, you know, with with my experience with the zoning in Denver, if you accidentally were doing something wrong, you do have some time to resolve it. Now, if I think if, if I were to buy a, <clears throat> a tiny home and model a, an entire business model around it without, you know, going about zoning the right way, that's probably a bad decision because yeah. you can't undo your purchase of, of the asset within 30 to 60 days and get out of what might have been a failing business model. So I think zoning is important. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I haven't pulled the trigger yet, I mean, A, my house hasn't sold yet. B, I, I definitely need to educate myself more on the zoning of all the possible places I might end up with this asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. I mean, that's, unfortunately, that's kind of the first, you know, step because <laughs> it means yeah. you got to research it. But I think it'll be worth it. And, um well, I like the direction that you're headed, and yeah, I think that's really fascinating, you know, what you've been doing with room sharing, or I should say house sharing in that sense with roommates. I know I'm actually uh, working with a client in Raleigh, uh, North, uh, sorry, Durham, North Carolina, and he's actually in the process of converting his properties into short-term rentals because he's sick and tired of being a landlord. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, you know, he's just like, I'm tired of getting rent late. I'm tired of these people treating me this way and blah, 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 blah. And he, they're trashing his properties and he's just tired of it. And they're giving him a lot of uh, flack for it. And I just think that's crazy because, you know, he's a really generous person and he's been, you know, they're, they're, they're putting it all this pressure on him. Like, you're not going to give us a place to live. Well, go find a place, another place that wants you, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. just doesn't make sense to me. And I told him, you know, this like, um, you know, this is, this is your choice and this is your business and it's not theirs. They can't, they're not, they shouldn't be telling you what you want to do. I mean, and I was like, you deserve this. You deserve a higher caliber tenant now. And a lot of people, what they don't understand is that, the long-term tenants tend to, to be messier and trash properties, not all of them, but I'm going to say that for the majority of investors with multiple properties, like they can't screen and, and keep an eye on these people as much. And it, it tends to create a lot more wear and tear. And I know a lot of people are just investors, landlords are just sick of it. They just want to move into a different genre. This is the future uh, for as in a real estate investment model. And some people want to do this, you know, like, um, I don't know. We'll see where it heads. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, very interesting to see where it can take us. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, Matt Holmes. Thanks for joining today on House Hacking. And I really appreciate your input, your expertise. And we'll put your link to your website or any information that you want in the show notes, and you want to just tell people how they can reach you? Yeah, um, I'm doing online marketing full-time. It's called Handshaking. 
And uh, that's where I've blogged about many of these experiences we've talked about, like the totaled car that I had on Turo, as well as um, kind of assets and entrepreneurship. So you can check out the blog there. And, um, yeah, that's also my handle everywhere. It's just handshaking without the G on Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram. Handshaking. Thanks, Matt. It was uh, yeah, here's a you. virtual handshake to you. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, thanks again, and we'll see you on the flip side. Okay, have a good one, Rachel.